And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over what we saw in the Sixers' convincing 127-111 win over the Atlanta Hawks in Game 3 to take control of the series, and what to look out for as the Sixers look to close the series out. If you're not already an Athletic subscriber, head on over to theathletic.com slash Sixers Beat. We can get a discount on a yearly subscription. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman, coming to you live, well not live, recorded, but coming to you from Atlanta, a hotel in Atlanta, on the latest Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. Rich, outside of being down in Atlanta, which might be good, might be bad. Who knows? How you doing? I'm great. Hot Lana. Yeah. It is It is pretty hot down here, but I mean, I, I guess it's hot everywhere. It's, uh, I, we've, we've I don't mind it. a couple of nice cool days up here in the, uh, rainy days, but a nice, couple of nice cool days in Philly. I don't mind Atlanta. You know, I'm staying around the arena, Centennial Park, kind of a nice center city-ish type area, a little more spread out. I, you know, in, in terms of stuff to do down here, they're... I would say there's probably not a ton in this area, but I can see why it's a pretty big transplant city and why people move down here. I have I have never been to Atlanta. That is one of the NBA cities I've never been to. Um, I, theoretically, I might be going in game six. If there is a game six after the last two games, really last two and a half games, I'm not 100% sure that there will be, which I guess is a good segue into the topic of podcast uh the sixers took control of the series with a 127 to 111 win in game three i guess there's a couple angles to go to i almost have to start off with danny green who went down after just a couple minutes in the first quarter of the game uh was replaced by Furkan korkmaz in the second half he has danny green has a right calf strain he will be reevaluated in two weeks the initial timeline i think that the shams reported was two to three weeks so that's sort of Tracks, assuming that that reevaluation is positive. So the Sixers, that will obviously take them well beyond the end of the series against Atlanta. Doc Rivers went to Furkan Korkmaz to replace him. Did Furkan replace him in the first quarter or was that Matisse? Who came in? Matisse, first? Matisse was, was a sub. Yeah, it was Matisse was the first quarter sub. Right. Furkan was the second half replacement. Yeah. Starter and closer in the well, second. Half. Regardless, when Furkan came in in the first quarter, he dropped what I think eleven in the first quarter. Um, ended up with fourteen on the game. The Sixers were a plus twenty-four in his twenty-seven minutes, and he did start in that second half. So I guess we'll start off there. Is that sort of what you expect them to do? Do you expect them to start Furkan here in Game Four? Man, it is wild. All the lower-level basketball we've covered with the Sixers. And then, like, going to Ferk's G League games, yeah, I think he's going to start in the playoffs. Yeah, I do. And I don't expect him to necessarily always have the type of game we saw the other night. Like, he, like, 
pretty much everybody on this bench and in this, even in the starting lineup with Danny Green included, outside of the stars, like they have their hot and cold nights. You just yeah. you can't trust them. And Ferk the other night was terrible. I mean, we we, we talked about it. He uh, he had his moment of shooting after the game to show everybody he's working hard because <laughs> yeah. he was horrible in game two. And then if, in if game, you guys don't know it, but after the podcast, I just sit here and I talk into my microphone for another ten minutes, just so that the next time we have a podcast, I'm better. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's pretty funny. It's it's different from when I play basketball now. It's uh, if uh, I, I make one shot after I'm done playing and then get out of there as fast as possible. The, but the hey, universal look. rule: you have to make that last shot. Everybody does. I agree. I agree. But you're right. Even transferring that over to our profession, like. When I'm done writing, I'm not writing some more. Just bang away uh-uh. on the keyboard for a little bit, yeah. Yep. No, no, no. I'm trying to do whatever the opposite of writing. Turn turn the brain off. Throw something on TV or something like that. Maybe go to sleep. Yeah, so I do think Ferk is the likeliest, but it could be other people. It could be Matisse. It could be George Hill, even though he was horrendous in that game. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think Ferk will get the start. Danny is, well, let's talk about Danny first. I think that's a big loss past this series. Yeah. I think it could even be a big loss for that. Look, Danny Green was playing awful in the series. He obviously had his moment where he couldn't defend Trey Young in the first half of game one. That moment might have cost them. We might be looking at a 3-0 lead if that didn't happen. I don't really blame Danny for that too much. I think that was more of Doc's mistake. Um, but he did not play well. Even if he was in a bad spot, um, he did not execute that scheme very well. Yep. He's shooting, what, 30.8% from the field so far. Uh, he has made, I think, one three-pointer in three games on his nine attempts. So he is not playing good basketball at the moment. And I think that will lead some people to be like, well, what, how big of a loss is it really? It's a pretty big loss. Yeah. Because even though he is incapable of defending Trey Young, he still adds value defensively when he's in the right role and defending the right matchup. And also on top of that, I mean, look, how... How many he, for a guy who derives so much of his value offensively from shooting, he has been a pretty consistent shooter for most of the season, including in that first round. Did he hit a cold spell here? Yes, and that makes it tough to watch at times. But when he gets going, his off-ball movement, uh, the spacing he provides, adds value, and he was one of the Sixers' more consistent three-point shooters throughout the season. So, is it a huge loss for this series? No, probably not. Like they they should have enough matchups they can exploit that that loss shouldn't doom them. But in the next series, when you've got to go up against that team and that team, we're not even, I don't even have to mention it. Um, and we'll see, we're recording this before game four of that series. We'll see whether or not that becomes, uh, I might eat those words a little bit, but if you have to go up against Brooklyn or quite frankly, even if you have to go up against Milwaukee, Danny green would have played a significant role in that series. And he will be out for at least the beginning of it. Where does two weeks take them? Would that be like coming back towards like, game five or six in the second round. Yeah. I, I guess mean, it depends how long this one drags on. They they are lucky that there is a long break right here for a couple, you know, you, you add a, a day here. We'll see how long the, uh, the series drags on, but I mean, the conference finals would probably start. What do you think? Early next week, I guess if that team and this team <laughs> wraps it up, you should eat those words. You should eat if the if the Bucks win. You should eat a basketball that's like Milwaukee Bucks. <laughs> I, I you don't, should eat that. I don't really want to eat a basketball. I think I'll, I'll pass on that one. If we were to set up those stakes before I made that statement, then I agree. But I, we didn't, so I'm going to skate by. But yeah, Danny Green is a, a a contributor for.
for this team in a pretty big way. And not only do you lose that contribution, but now you rely on those bench players who we just got done saying, while they're having their moments right now, aren't really reliable. Um, you know, you had the Shake Milton game in game two. And really, by that, I mean like Shake Milton quarter. And then you had the Furkan Korkmaz game in game three. And really, by that, you more mean like the, the Furkan Korkmaz first half. Um, outside of that, that bench and Dwight Howard, who has really Good struggled Dwight defensively. Because yeah. uh, this is a series where he's going to struggle defensively. But Dwight Howard has been a real positive offensive player, which is a little weird to say. But he's, I mean, look, he's been active as a role man, active on the offensive glass, making his foul shots. I mean, he, he's been a, a contributor. But other than that, that shake has been, or that shake, that uh, bench unit has been real up and down. So you're not going to rely on them a little bit more. Um, you're going to elevate one of them into the starting lineup. And I think it will end up being Furkan Korkmaz. You know, I think he... Um, the shooting he can provide and the spacing he can provide. And you're going to already have a really good defense with the Simmons and Embiid on the court anyway. Um, so I think, you know, anchor the defense with those two. Bring in Matisse and George Hill and Dwight Howard for that second unit. Uh, I think that is probably the right way to go. But it is it is going to be a, a, a loss. Like it is, um, you know, I think if you were complaining about the all bench units or the mostly bench units before, well, this isn't going to solve it. That's for sure. D- Danny Green, I would argue, has been the Sixers' fourth best player this season. Yeah. And I get it. There's a massive drop-off after three with this group. So, you know, that, that might not be saying quite as much. But, yeah, just to, to have him on the defensive end and to have his three-point shooting, it, it, it's a big loss. The The one reason I am saying that it might not be a big loss in this series is that his weakness plays right into mm-hmm. the Atlanta Hawks' hands. I mean, you even saw, like, and again, I, I I feel like we're in a really good place with how we describe Shake and Furkan and all these guys. They're going to have some good nights, but I, I am, you know, when they have the explosion offensively, I am waiting for the 0 for 5 game the next yeah. night. It's right around the corner. And with Furkan, he won't realize he's in the middle of an 0 for 5 game and they'll turn into an 0 for 8 game. Look, that's okay. That's just that. That's who they are. But but to their credit, they are capable enough of smoking Trey Young probably more times than not on the offensive end. They can do a little bit off the bounce. I mean, you even saw it. I think it was like the second possession of the game in game three. They they, they ran a dribble handoff play to try and make Trey Young work with Danny Green. He literally threw a pass that I don't know how Embiid caught it. It looked like it was going into the fourth row. It was horrible. It was like. It was the opposite of a a Trey Young or a Ben Simmons skip pass to the corner. It was just not on target. And you saw throughout the game, and and the two guys who particularly benefited are the guys we're talking about, Shake and Cork. I mean, they whether it was a set play like Doc running a pick and roll for them on the side of the court, or it was just the Sixers running their continuity offense, not getting the first option on the play, and the ball finding those guys at the end. They roasted Trey, and they did a better job of that than they have the entire series. And frankly, I think that's going to continue because Trey, for as good as he is offensively, and he is fucking great offensively, he is just as bad. On he the is other one end. of the worst defenders I've ever seen. And it's one He's, thing to be small and slight, but he just does not give even the remotest of shits. On those dribble handoffs, they are so far past him. It's unbelievable. A, a dribble handoff, he is five feet behind yeah. Korkmaz. 
Korkmaz, he's not like, he's mo- Shake, they're not moving yeah. that fast. Yeah. But they can do enough with the uh, with the dribble. And so I, I do think they might be okay in this series. The, yeah. the other thing I would say that Cork did well, and just in, in general that the Sixers did well. So so when they run the small, small pick and rolls for Trey with Bogdanovich or Herder or those guys, I thought Cork and nice. Seth and all those guys, not only did they hedge, but when they recovered, they ran the guy that they were getting back to off the line. And that just good things happen, whether that's, you know, they might make the mid range jumper, but in general, like you're forcing them into Joel Embiid, who had a plus defensive game. Good stuff is happening. I mean, like, you know, this isn't just the what did Atlanta end up with, like 23 point attempts or something? Yeah, like that? it was it was it was relatively small. Um, not that the Sixers shot too many more. Twenty three. They shot six for twenty three. So so that's great. And then you combine that, I believe they only shot three corner threes the entire game. Yep. I mean, that's to, just a, what was it like 17 in game one? It's just a completely different game. Yeah. I mean, that's that is the definition of screwing up in the first game and correcting it very quickly. Yeah. And, uh, well, not very quickly. I think I would have preferred a little quicker in the first half of game one. But after after halftime of game one, they've been a completely different team. Yep. You knew it. You knew what I mean. No, I know what you meant. And you're not wrong. It's just, uh, I'm still going back to, there's a chance they could be up 3-0. Uh, what do you maybe, mean? Maybe there is a chance. They absolutely should be up 3-0. Yeah. That's still a ridiculous loss. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Um, but yeah, I mean, at that, that second half, um, I guess we can pivot from there. Like you mentioned, Joel Embiid, just a fantastic game. Didn't necessarily have the huge scoring night that he has had at points throughout the series so far, um, but his defense was the best we've seen from him in this series, maybe the best we've seen from him in the playoffs. Uh, in the way that he was able to um, play sort of like that middle ground there of that pick and roll that's so tough. Uh, and then he was just diagnosing um, Atlanta's double teams. Atlanta was more aggressive in double teaming him, um, get the ball out of his hands, and he made them pay. He ended up with eight assists to one turnover. The Sixers ended up shooting 10 for 21 from three-point range. He found a number of cutters. He found Matisse on a cut, a couple other cutters. Um, they have been doing a good job of moving off of him, uh, and he has been doing a good job of just not losing his composure. Well, he's lost his composure a couple times, but it's more like when he gets bumped and pushed, uh, loses his composure that way. He has not lost his composure under double teams really at any point in this series. He threw one where I think they got a deflection in the first half of game three. And that was notable only because it was different. It was like the one chance they had of actually forcing a turnover off of an Embiid double team. Uh, other than that, he has had a pretty done a pretty masterful job of handling that. So he had another exceptional game in game three, and it's the point where, okay, he dropped 27 points, nine rebounds, eight assists, three blocks, and it was like, okay, let's show. Yeah. 
they uh, the Hawks, they went with a different defensive strategy. They were fronting him pretty aggressively and trying to double as soon as he caught the ball. So that that limited his scoring a little bit, but you can just see, even if the Sixers didn't hit a ton of those attempts, I mean, there's just guys wide open on the weak side when they yeah. do that. And honestly, sometimes they double with Bogdanovich or Trey Young, and there are times when that doesn't even feel like a double. No. They could just drive right through him. Uh, you know what was funny? I thought there, there was one play where Trey came over, and he fouled Joe pretty hard. I, I would assume, like, super hard for him. Joe was still standing upright. <laughs> and the best part was Joe kind of looked to see who it was. I think he would have freaked out if it was Solomon Hill or Tony Snell or somebody like that. But he saw it was Trey, and he gave him a, a, a pat on the butt, like, good foul after <laughs> it was over. And he, he mentioned it after the game, too. He was like, look, I might complain about his fouls during the game, but he's a smart player. And guess what? I'm a smart player, too. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's game respects flopping game. <laughs> they do, they do. There's definitely a a, a kinship there in that. Room. <laughs> um, another real strong game from Tobias again. Twenty two points, eight rebounds, five assists, ten for sixteen shooting. Feels like we're going to yada yada it because it is so like when they are so consistently excellent. And Tobias has been consistently excellent. I, I think he's scored in double figures now in what seven of eight games that they have played in the playoffs and mostly. All of them have been incredibly efficient. Uh, he has had a lot of, of mismatches to exploit. He has done so very effectively and very consistently. But the other main story outside of Danny Green and Furkan Korkmaz almost has to be Ben Simmons, who had one of the more, and I, when I say this, I'm talking only half-court offense, but one of the more maddening first halves in a while, which is saying something because he has a, a lot that are frustrating. And then he came out and he was a completely different player, just a completely different player. And they started up, you know, they, you mentioned fronting the post with Embiid. They started up trying to go to Simmons in the post on the first couple of possessions after the uh, break. And the first one, he was fronted very aggressively. Embiid saw it through a lob to him for an easy look. Very next possession, they come down, they post him up and Bogdan Bogdanovich makes one of the most head scratching double teams I've ever seen. He leaves Seth Seth Curry Curry. on the weak side (laughs) corner. You never leave. You never leave a team one pass from a corner three, especially not when you're trying to post up Ben Simmons, who's a a mediocre post scorer and b one of the best passers in the league. Leaving him open. I mean, that was a very easy cross. Then you're leaving Seth Curry open to the best catch a shoot shooter in the league. Um, (laughs) And that, I mean, that is why Atlanta can double all they want. They're not going to be all that effective at it because they're not very smart at it. They're not very good at it. Um, he just came out and he attacked and look, and that that one play in the second quarter was just so frustrating where he drove he off of John Collins, yeah. got onto the rim, kicked it out with four seconds left when nobody was open, ended up with a shot clock violation. And again, I don't think most people, when they complain about Ben, not everyone, because I think there's some people that just don't value, if you're not scoring 20 a night, they're not going to value you. That's fine. That's sort of built into how popular the league is. But I think a lot of people just look at situationally. There are times and that John Collins drive was maybe the most egregious example, but there are times where he has mismatches where the highest value shot. The six are going to get in that possession is him taking that shot. And not only on top of that, but when he takes advantage of those mismatches, then that opens up passing lanes and passing opportunities because you're forcing teams to react and teams. When they have to react, they make mistakes. They leave Seth Curry wide open in the corner, which they should never do. That doesn't happen if you're not aggressive. So I think there's just times where don't let them hide their weakest defender on you. 
take the high value shot that you have in that possession. Force teams to make mistakes. Um, it was nice to see in that second half. That is, I think, what a lot of people, when they talk about Ben, are looking for. It's also sort of like what we're talking about with some of the young perimeter bench players. I'm not sure it carries over. I hope it does, because I think the Sixers are a better team when he does take advantage of those mismatches and take those shots that are there for him. It's just, we've seen this play out before. Quick quick shout out to Seth Curry. The the hook shot he shot over Tony Snell in the third quarter was one of the craziest shots I've seen. A 6-2 guy shooting a, a running hook shot that was just very pretty, and uh, that got lost in the middle of the Sixers' million points. But uh, yeah, on Ben, I mean, you mentioned the possession of the first half where he was under the basket, could have shot a reverse layup if he was looking at the rim. That And that's my big thing with him. Look at the rim. That pass was predetermined, 100%. Because not only was he in, in very good scoring position, nobody was open. Not only was nobody open, but nobody was even really... Sta- like every, Nobody was even stationed behind a three-point line. Everyone was sort of like a couple steps in. People were just sort of like meandering around and well-covered, and he's still determined, I'm passing this ball. Look, I get it. He's a drive-and-kick player, first and foremost, and that requires scanning the entire floor and looking to see all those guys. Once in a while. Look at the rim. That's what it's. It's what it's there for. Just, just make make sure. It's still ten feet up in the air. Oh, oh, I can shoot that. And it's so. The the good example of that. I, I think it might have been the same type of play. Left side of the floor, they post him up in the second half, and he goes right by Collins for yeah. a reverse layup on the right side. There, there, especially with DeAndre Hunter out, there is nobody on that team who can cover him. Nobody. And look, by the same token, there's nobody on that team who can cover Embiid and nobody on that team who can co- cover Tobias Harris, which is why the Sixers are in a really good spot. And also why you you don't want Ben being aggressive all the time because that will take shots away from Harris and Simmons. But when you have such egregious opportunities, uh, yeah, the it, it, Sixers are better when he takes them. When you have Gallo covering you, I, I, I get that they sag and sometimes that can make things a little bit tougher on the... Uh on the offensive end, but if you have Gallo on you, you're just so much faster than him. I mean, if yeah. you can, if you could just do a crossover, I think he might vanish from your path to the rim. He he might. It's just, it's the opposite of Danny. It's Danny Green on Trey Young in so, some extent. And, you know, moving to, to Tobias, I mean, that was, by the way, and I'll, I'll just say like, that was another perfect Ben Simmons game where it's like maddening first half, but he almost made up for it with just the first six minutes or so of the third quarter itself. I mean, well, he was just that, completely I mean, dominant. His defense on Trey Young has changed the series. And yeah. that is, uh, we always say, that is the Ben Simmons experience. Um, it's so and I, his, his defense on Trey has, has been very good. I, I think like when you, you talk about that gets talked about, like it's a one-on-one matchup enough. It's no, it's him and Embiid's defense sure. yep. on Trey Young. And, other guys switch sometimes, but like let's just use those two. If you don't have the backstop kind of playing the angles pretty perfectly, because you know part of the reason they're not giving up any corner threes, and this is a little bit of the old Brett Brown philosophy, they're they don't help. playing. Yeah, they're not helping. Like they're they're playing two on two in the pick and roll, and if you can do that against Trey Young, and still like force a lot of floaters and mid range jumpers, and Trey's not hitting his three pointers. You're gonna do pretty well. So th- th- it's the combination sure. of those two. Yeah, so and for for as 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 quick as Ben in Ben is, and as strong as he is, and as long as he is, really, what the difference between him and Danny Green so far this series is how much better he is at getting through those screens. So you don't have to help off of that. Yeah. 
you you can tell that when Trey is putting that floater up, Ben Ben is getting around those screens well enough, and he's really doing a great job. You, you hit the nail on the head there. It's it's just even that half second faster that that he is doing that compared to Danny Green, or even compared to like I don't even know, just like an average defender, because Danny wasn't doing a good job of that at all. But just that half second is enough to make Trey think a little bit. You could just see like that their help is. They're not helping off shooters, but they're steering them into more congested areas. It was, I mean, it was a really good defensive game plan because, you know, I I get that the Hawks didn't shoot that well. It felt like they got a lot of points on like second chance and transition and bullshit. Like, so that, it feels pretty sustainable. If you guard like that, you're going to have a decent defensive night. Um, Yeah. So overall, they did a nice job. The the other guy I want to mention quickly, because I mean, that was just a very good performance because one, their defense was great. Two, you know, it wasn't an insane Joe performance, but very good, and especially on the defensive end. Ben has the insane third quarter. I, I thought Tobias at the end of the first quarter and the early second quarter, that's some of the best playmaking we have seen from him in a high-level yep. situation. You know, we've seen signs of it. I remember there was a game uh, when Ben and Joe did not play against the Kings at home. and The Kings are terrible defensively, whatever. But where Tobias had like eight assists and he was picking out all of – these Sixers reserves players for threes, they won by 30. To do that in a playoff game where they put him in a pick and roll with Dwight Howard and that all bench unit. And the Hawks tried everything. They tried to to blitz him. They tried to play him soft. They switched him at the end of the game. And he made the right decision every time. And he did it quickly. And he found Dwight for lobs. And it was just, I mean, I don't know. I, I, feel, I feel good for him because he, you know, he, here's a guy who, I mean, he was at rock bottom last year with that with that playoff performance. And I, look, let's be fair. He's probably playing two of the worst defenses in the playoffs possible, which they earned from getting the number one seed. So I'm not like yeah. getting on him too much. I mean, I'm just saying like it, it, it might get a little bit harder mo- moving, for, uh, moving Brooklyn's forward. Brooklyn's not a – they're playing pretty well against Milwaukee. They're not a great defense either. Yeah, and Tobias is a guy who, you know, if you get Kyrie on him, he, he yeah. should be able to do, do some damage. Yep. So we'll see. That's why I said might. It, it definitely will in the in the finals if if they get to that uh, level. But like he's playing awesome. He's just their consistent guy. And you know, of course, he had two injury scares. Like he was limping at one point in the uh, in the second quarter, and then he bangs his head on the cameraman too. That was, by the way, I mean, not only did Danny Green get hurt, about four or five injury scares combined with Tobias yeah. and and Bede. Uh, uh, yeah. uh, every time I looked at the screen and Mead was grabbing his, one of his knees, it was, yeah, that was a little scary. Um, and look, Joel's going to play. Like, he's yeah. not, like, there, you couldn't keep him out at this point. Unless he really, really makes that, that knee worse, um, that meniscus worse, he is not sitting for um, really anything. And they're going to call him questionable every game, and we're going to have to see how he goes through in the workouts every game. It does not seem like Joel Embiid is going to miss a playoff game unless there is a setback. Uh, and again, you're coming up here in the second half of the series. There's going to be more back-to-back, not back-to-back, but one day off games. Maybe the swelling does become more of a factor. Um, but yeah, some of those scares were not what you want to see. And to bring him, look, I get Doc. You know, he brought him back. It was like a 20-point game of seven minutes left. And then Atlanta went on a run. So like Doc's a little bit justified, I guess, for that. <laughs> But it would have been nice to keep him off of there. Um, and he had that scare afterwards. And a little, that's a little incidental. Um, you can't like predict 
what three minutes of game time a player is going to have a hard fall, but that was definitely scary. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondering. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. I mean, they were up 13 or or 15 with like five minutes left. I mean, I I understand not wanting to move him any farther, but this is a playoff game, guys. Like, you got to win the game. And you've seen how crazy your bench can be at times. And like, let's not let's not pretend if the bench he kept the bench in and they went on a run and Joe has to come in cold with like four minutes left and it's an eight point game or something like that. People would have been happy. I look, I get it. It's it's the balancing act, but. I didn't have any problem keeping him in the game if he said he was okay. He did have that crazy fall, though, which, I mean, honestly, that fall was horrifying. But if he falls on his upper body, I look, I'll take that over <laughs> some of these. I, I feel like that's like, you know, that's one he can ice up the next day. All right, I fell kind of on my shoulder there or whatever. Like, that sucked. <laughs> that hurt for a little bit, but. I'm not sure that's keeping you out for as long as possible. One other thing that I thought was uh, funny, making fun of uh, myself, I in the second half, I was like, ooh, Ben's having a pretty good free throw shooting day, and, and Joe is having like a terrible free throw shooting day. And Ben is four for eight, and Joe is 12 of 16. Yeah. And that's just, just kind of how the expectations are, <laughs> yep. are going right now. Yep. I was a little surprised at the end of the game. Because Doc, by the way, Doc taking him out both games after, unbelievable that that Washington press conference afterwards becomes more and more bizarre as we go on. What? What? You want me to take Ben Simmons out? Are you kidding me, dude? You're taking him out in unnecessary situations right now. I didn't even think you needed to take him out. There, there. By the way, McMillan doesn't even seem like he really wants to intentionally foul all that much anyway. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess Ben had just made two free throws on his possession before, so maybe McMillan's like, "Ooh, we don't want to, don't want to <laughs> awake the beast here." Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was that was strange all around. I just the, the idea that Doc was like, he he really he he might need to apologize to Kincaid for that. That was, I mean, he was all over him. Why would you take him out he of the was. game? And he's now he is like doing it more than even I think he should. It's uh, I don't know. That's that's a very funny thing and 
as far as Ben was concerned, that's probably the only thing you can uh you could point to after the after the first half that was was a negative because I mean he was he just completely took over the game. The the other thing that that helps Ben, I would say, in this series is uh Atlanta's transition defense is terrible. Yeah, it's really bad. I mean, there was the one possession where he brought the ball up the right side, and I think, you know, it, it goes to show like when the Sixers screw up on transition, they can do this to other teams too. Like. It's not easy to get matched up when you miss a shot, a team outlets the ball quickly, and Ben Simmons is driving down the right side of the floor, and you're not in the right matchups. But yeah, Atlanta has screwed that part of the calculus up a lot. I mean, there was the the possession I'm talking about is Solomon Hill was supposed to get him, but Bogdanovich was over there. I guess they called Solomon Hill called switch. Bogdanovich didn't. Easy dunk for Ben Simmons. The the one thing with Ben, even if he's not looking at the rim. There are probably two other guys in the league, LeBron and Giannis are the, are the people that come to mind right away. If you don't get in front of them in transition, they'll dunk on you very quickly. Yeah. And they'll do it pretty easily. And that's that's kind of where we're at with uh, with Atlanta. I guess uh, also, I, I guess going back to the Did original- Did you have an po- abundance, by the way, of Atlanta fans who before the series in the comments section or in Twitter- who were really crowing about their defense and how everyone was sleeping on their defense because they shut down the Knicks. You're not playing the Knicks anymore. The Sixers, by the way, I mean, again, they, they've played two bad defenses in my opinion. Sorry to the Hawks. I, I, I'm not really buying that Knicks series either. They have the third ranked offense in the playoffs. Sure. Right now. Some of that is who they're playing though. I mean, they are playing probably the two worst defensive teams in the playoffs. Maybe throw uh, Portland in there too, but up there, up there. We're we're in agreement on that, but so I think one one thing we did maybe we suspected this coming into the series, but at least we learned like if you're small and you're not you're average to yeah. below average defensively, like they're gonna pound the shit out of you. I mean, Embiid is gonna is gonna put you in the basket, but not only that, Tobias is too, <laughs> Simmons is too, and guess what? When that happens and you sink in. They're going to make a high percentage of their threes, too. Yep. So they seem to have the the offensive part of this figured out. Um, yeah, there was – I saw some of that. Speaking of Atlanta fans, where we were sitting was right behind the Atlanta – I don't know what it's called. I think it might as well be like that Brooklyn fan section that they have, you know, kind of their their version of the revolutionaries where I'm pretty sure it's mostly young people who have to cheer the entire game. We were sitting right behind them in in our press seats, and uh, I was like, "Man, this is going to be a long night. Like these guys, <laughs> these guys are going to be screaming after every play." I gotta say, they weren't as loud after the second quarter. So uh, my uh, my eardrums, and I guess yeah, just my eardrums. They thanked the Sixers yeah. for a uh, for a workmanlike performance where sure. they didn't really give them uh, give them a lot of hope. There was a uh, I, the other thing about the Atlanta crowd. I thought. Uh, I, I did get a kick out of the Embiid flops. There was there was a lot of uh you know bullshit chants and, and all of these things. They they were not happy. Well while there were a lot of, you know, round of applause for Trey throwing yeah. his body back into Ben Simmons um type fouls. So Trey that, Young that was, not a, not a lot of awareness from Trey Young either. I yeah. I don't know. I, I think I think Embiid has it right. Like, look, if I'm gonna complain about his calls. I have to mention like 
All right, I, I get some some bad ones too. It's just it's just the way it is. But maybe maybe it's easier to be gracious about it when you're winning. So yeah. I don't know. So the other thing, I think uh, I think Maxi probably doesn't spend a long time in the uh, the out of bench rotation. Doc yeah. kept Doc kept him alive, and he, he played well. His best game in a while. Um, but now we're down to 10 guys at this point. So, Hey, you can dust off Mike Scott. Wouldn't it be funny if Doc was just like, look, we need 11. We're winning <laughs> game. I know it doesn't make sense. He's not going to help us, but we got to play him like three minutes. Because <laughs> it's, just, it's just the way it works. Uh, uh, I hope not. I hope not. Um, all right. Anything else you're looking for here in game four that could uh, get in the Sixers way? Or do you expect they will come back up three to one? I, I think do you, think. I think you did. Say coming in that you thought the most likely outcome was winning both, didn't you? Wasn't that you yeah. said that? Yeah, I did. Um, I, I do think that they're they're going to win. This is, I mean, this is really important. Like, win this game, it's over in five. I mean, it's just that even with the two performances that they just had, that first game just sticks in your crawl. Like, mm-hmm. it was such an unforced error. And I, I get it. The, the Hawks played really well that game. But you, you've seen for two games now what the Sixers can do when they have the right matchups, they have the right game plan, they have the right rotations. They're better. So uh, I expect, I mean, the one thing I will say is like, I don't think the Sixers defense was lucky in that game, per se. Like, I think they made the Hawks work. And like I said, some of the Hawks buckets were on, you know, you know, once they start posting up Gallo, it's like... <laughs> All right, if those go in, great, but I don't know. I don't think you're beating the Sixers with that with those. No. Um, but the Hawks did shoot, shoot 6 of 23 from from deep and you know, some of those are like long looks. Like Herder just wasn't on. He he took a couple bomb threes to start the game. They were off, and he was pretty much useless the entire game. Trey has not made his deep threes. I mean, he made a couple at the end when the game was kind of out of reach, but it, I I could see the Hawks shooting a little bit better in this game, but I mean, if you, I, I just kind of look at it like the key to me is, is much more the quantity that they shot, like holding yeah. them to 23 attempts after that first game just seems like a minor miracle. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know. I mean, if I would even say the quantity, like the quality of Trey's looks are, yep. I don't know, man, he's taken, if you get him matched up on Tobias and he's going to take a crossover step back three from like 28 feet, I, I have a hard time thinking over the course of a series you're going to lose against those shots. But yeah. I, know, I know he can make them, and it looks awesome when, when they do. And it, I'm sure as a defender, it feels completely helpless. But I don't know. It's just they they out-executed them so much on both ends of the floor. Both ends. You, you shoot 58% on offense and then play that level of defense. There really wasn't a lot to feel bad about from that game. So I don't know. It's I, I understand that. You know, game to game can be a completely different story. But if if we were sitting here talking in what three or four days with the series wrapped up, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be I'm not guaranteeing it, but I wouldn't be completely surprised either. Yeah, and it's even interesting just talking to colleagues of ours who cover the Hawks, um, both at the Athletic and elsewhere, and just the general reaction is like, "Holy shit, they're a better team!" Like Sixers are just a better team. Um, I think there's sort of been a uh, an awakening about that. I think most people expected that if Embiid was healthy, Embiid 
not healthy, but he's playing like a very good version of Embiid. And the Sixers are just a better, more well-rounded, deeper team. Uh, I would expect them to... I'm still not sure if I would say five or six. I could certainly see Atlanta stealing one of these two games. Definitely. But I do think the Sixers should be able to wrap this series up. Yeah, and I think we... The other thing we learned is that I'm not sure the home court matters all that much. No. Like, I don't think the Sixers are going to lose at home, but I, I certainly don't think and they're... Look, Atlanta won 13 straight at home coming into that game. Um, I think they ended the regular season winning 17 or last 19, something in that range at home. Uh, Joel Embiid is still way bigger and way more talented than Clint Capella. And that has a way of uh, mitigating home court advantage. Yeah. And I mean, it's, and we, we kind of, when we made the bad predictions about this series with six, we just didn't know, you know, know a, how, how Embiid ha- would react. Yeah. How much he would play one, but just like, what does he look like? And I, I get it. It looks a little, you could see him in pain at times. You could see him favoring that right leg, kind of trying to land on the, the left knee, which is horrifying, by the way, uh, considering his left knee history. But he's still, like, when you saw some of those possessions on defense where he was super active, you know, I talked about the Gallo po- post the other, uh, a, m- a minute ago. Just him, like, coming over and, and, like, flashing to the strong side saying, hey, like, Gallo, if you take the shot, I'm going to block you. And playing that cat and mat. like for him to be that active on the defensive end, it's there's just not a lot Atlanta can do if the Sixers steer their players there. So it's uh look, I I don't really think it's that much of a uh like a black mark on Atlanta for not being the Sixers have been through the playoffs a bunch of times already. This is Atlanta's not only are are they probably not as good with their talent and their age. But the Sixers are more experienced than those guys. Yep. They have experienced the hardships of a, you know, a bunch of playoff exits at this point. So they're they're just more ready. Yeah, I mean that is certainly part of it. Like, how do you respond after getting punched in game one? Um, the Sixers in previous years maybe don't respond as well as they need to, uh, but now they have been through these wars. Like you said, they have the experience advantage. Yeah, I, I expect them to wrap this up pretty easily. All right, I think that's probably okay, re- wait real quick. Just like one way of saying that, Kevin Herter. He did not shoot no. oh of a million against the Boston Celtics in the bubble last year. He didn't. Right. He was he was at home. He, they, they weren't in the playoffs. Right. Tobias Harris did, and I think in some ways that's helping him. Sorry, go ahead. Yep. I, I, anything else? Because I was going to wrap it up. Yeah, wrap it up. All right. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. Enjoy Atlanta. See, See you, man. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 